And hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the Covenant of Yahweh. It's heard here every Friday evening at 6 p.m. Today is August 23rd, 2013. My name is Joey Thompson. I'm located in the foothills of Lookout Mountain. That's in North Georgia. A couple of quick, very quick announcements before we get to our guest and topic this evening. A programming note, next week we will be addressing the Feast of Trumpets. So we'll have a program concerning the Feast of Trumpets. That'll be one, uh, it won't be a quite a week before the Feast of Trumpets, but pretty close. Actually, it will be. It'll be one week before the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, also, Feast of Tabernacles announcements. If you don't have your reservations made for either Hattiesburg, Mississippi or Conyers, Georgia, either get me or uh, Matthew a call. He is one of our guests tonight, so we'll get you squared away. Um, you can find out how to reach him in just a minute. He is one of our guests, Matthew Jansen, from the Ministers of the New Covenant. Uh, that is his website, ministersnewcovenant.org. Is that right, Matthew? Correct, brother. All right, I got it right that time. And uh, he he is the uh, presiding elder over the congregation in Conyers, Georgia. And I'll okay. introduce yet a third guest tonight, which is uh, Chuck Baldwin. we got a room full. Chuck, are you there? Uh, yes, sir. I'm here. It's good to be here. And uh, tonight I'm going to try using the, the mute button on my mic instead of the, the mouse thing because uh, I have to use my left hand to lift my right arm to move the mouse. And it, So I'm just going to try the button. Okay, we'll go with that. Uh, is there anything wrong with your other arm? Well, my right shoulder is, has an injury that's kind of been kind of rough lately. All right. Chuck's coming off the DL, folks. So that's the <laughs> disabled list for us un, uh, unathletical people. So, But we'll get through it, won't we, Chuck? Yes, sir. All right. Good deal. Let's see. Let me just go into the, the meat of the topic tonight. We're This is uh, part three, maybe part four, I have to go back and look, of the calendar series. And uh, today we're going to get into the, the subject of when the day begins. Now, this is a very controversial subject. And by that, I mean, I mean that um, there are many views on it, certainly. But the two opposing views that we have tonight are the day beginning in the evening, much as is the belief with many people throughout the Messianic and Churches of God communities. And that is the way that Matthew and Chuck believe. They all prescribe to the, the calendar day beginning in the evening. Now, I, on the other hand, believe the day begins in the morning. And um, we're going we're gonna to discuss reasons why either way. Let me say off the top of the bat, right off the top, that I, I see both ways. As a matter of fact, for the first 40 years of my life, really, I kept the Sabbath um, with an evening-to-evening understanding. So I know the theology very well. And I studied into it and made a change uh, around that time. So I've been keeping uh, a morning-to-morning day ever since I've come to see those changes. Um, Chuck, I'd, I'd just like to open with you and get a, a brief comment about why you see it as an evening-to-evening day. Okay. Uh, actually, 
I agree with you in, in the beginning that it was was uh, morning to morning. Okay. I believe it. I believe it changed uh, at the time of the Exodus, along with the when the year starts. And a um, uh, major reason I believe is that is the chronology of the of the crucifixion week. Okay. All right, and that's that's going to be a part of this series. We're going to do probably two or three. Um, programs on when the day begins. So, Matthew, I'm sure you're there. Uh, very quickly, give me your thoughts on why, you know, just maybe your number one or two reasons why you think the, the day begins in the evening at sunset. Well, what I would say is I can understand how someone interprets Genesis chapter 1 in the way that you would, Brother Joey. Just like uh -huh. you say, you can understand me. For many years, I could not until one day I was studying, and I can see it both ways in Genesis 1. What I would argue uh, more specifically is that any time that we are to observe holy days or set-apart times, I believe that all Scripture would teach that those times are to be observed from evening to evening, instead of from morning to morning or, as some people do, from morning to evening. And so that would be my main thing. And I believe that we should go by the what's called the didactic portions of Scripture where Yahweh is specifically teaching us how to keep commandments. Um, there's many narrative portions of Scripture that I would agree that the 12-hour day begins in the morning. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, but I would center in or focus in on commanded days that we're supposed to observe, keep, or celebrate. And I think all those are from evening to evening. Now, that's an interesting point. Well put, Matthew. Uh, I, I'm interested in hearing more about that. But let's just delve into Genesis 1, just as he was referring to. And specifically, the first time this uh, passage comes into question, of course, six times this phrase is used at the end of verse 5, Genesis 1-5, and I'll read from the King James first, and then we're going to take a look at the Hebrew. It says, and, and Elohim called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, I would make the case that the last sentence, which is, and the evening and the morning were the first day, is a very poorly translated um, wording of that passage. Uh, for instance, let me just read the literal interpretation from the Hebrew interlinear of Genesis 1 verse 5, and then I'll get you guys' opinion. It says, And he is calling Elohim to the light day, and to the darkness he calls night, and he is becoming evening, and he is becoming morning day one. Now, the way I see that, the way I read it, is that just like in the other five days of the week, one, two, three, four, five, six, before the Sabbath, the order that I see is that Yahweh does all of his work during the daylight portion of the day, then it became evening, then it became morning, and when morning broke, that completed day one, and that was... Um, the beginning, if you will, of day two. Chuck Baldwin, what say you? Uh, I, I agree with that understanding now. And <clears throat> like you, I used to I used to hold to the to the other evening to evening tradition. Uh, 
And and like you say, the the phrase the evening and the morning where the first day is is poor. It for one thing, in in just common English, it doesn't make sense because an evening plus a morning don't constitute a day. There's a whole lot of other time periods in between. Right. And uh, plus, there's only one verb in there. The the were evening and the morning were the first day. In the in the Hebrew text you referred to, it's like it's like you read it from the interlinear. It was or became evening, and it became morning. There's two verbs, and it and and it's written in a continual sequence. So I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, Kevin Richardson just typed in out of the blue. He said, "I agree with that." <laughs> so <clears throat> we got a fourth opinion there. Um, yeah, uh, but I'll just say that number one, I agree with what both of you guys said about the poor translation at the end of verse five. You know, I'm sitting here. I've got three different Bibles in front of me. Um, the King James you quoted from. I've got a New American Standard Bible, and at the end of Genesis one five, it translates it into English as. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. And then I've got an English Standard Version, which is very similar to the KJV, and it translates it, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And I've got no problem with, it, and it became evening, and it became morning, or evening followed, and then morning followed, day one. So I do see a sequence of events here in the book of Genesis. Now... I believe that I can interpret this sequence of events to to validate an evening to evening day, but at the same time, I understand how someone can interpret this particular sequence of events to validate a day that begins in the morning and then ends the following morning. Um, I can understand that uh, because... We have here at the beginning, we have darkness uh, over the face of the deep. And then we have Yahweh or Elohim, which is Yahweh, or who is Yahweh, speaking light into existence uh, in Genesis 1, verse 3. So um, what my basically what I would say about Genesis chapter 1, and I have went round and round for hours, almost an entire day one time, daylight portion day one time, talking about this subject with uh, some people uh, here at, at our local congregation. And... Um, I would say that it could be argued uh, both ways. And I think that in order to determine how we're supposed to celebrate set-apart times of Yahweh, I think that there's more conclusive passages in the Tanakh that we can go to. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's let's address some meanings of, of words in this passage. For instance, uh, let's get the easy one out of the way, and that, that would be morning. Um, that word in the Hebrew is bokar or bokar. And it uh, it simply means, according to Strong's, morning or the break of day, the end of night, um, the coming of sunrise, so and so on. So we can pretty much uh, extrapolate that that is literally dawn, and that's that's the way I read it as well. It it hails from the uh, the primitive root, which is very similar as bakar. Bakar is to seek, to inquire, to consider. So it's almost like uh, if you're in the darkness and you're seeking and suddenly, aha, there it is. There's the break of day. And so that's what I, you know, I think that Bokar is. And I, I think you guys would agree. Is that is that correct, Matthew? 
Jeff? I would say that that is one of the definitions for morning. I, I believe that there is, just like for the word day in Hebrew, which is yom, there's various definitions. I think that there's different definitions for uh, vokir depending on the context. But I agree with what, in the context of what we're talking about, I'm in agreements with you. I just think that morning can can be a word that is used to describe even the dark hours of the night. Um, okay. And I could, yeah, I could show three or four texts, uh, but I don't want to clump everything in right now. I just want to put that out there that a lot of times Hebrew words are a lot more fluid than we make them to be. It's like we have a word and we pick one particular definition, but in Hebrew there can be various definitions for one singular word. And I agree with that. It's well said. Chuck, your thoughts on Bokar? I'm I'm pretty much in agreement. Uh, the the two the two main variations that, that I'm aware of is is I think what you call refer to as first light when when you can first see a little bit of light appearing in the in the eastern sky and then and then of course sunrise where you where the sun first visibly appears is the other variation. Yeah. Okay. And, All and right. I, go for, I go for the latter. Yeah. I was just going to say I'm glad Chuck brought that up and I didn't know we were going to get into this. But I actually, I think I agree with what Chuck just said. I believe that the night period extends all the way up until sunrise. And I believe that from sunrise to sunset is the day period when the sun's ruling. And the period that the sun is not ruling, I believe that's the night period. Gotcha. Okay. okay. That's the easy one, believe it or not. And we still had a little bit of controversy there. The uh, the tough <laughs> one, The tough one really is evening. And, of course... Evening is Ereb in the Hebrew. It is 6153. And I think, and this is my personal opinion, I think it's misdefined by Strong's. Uh, I'll give you the definition. It's, it's defined as evening, night, sunset. Evening, sunset, or night. Uh, if you know anything about Strong's, they, uh, they, they reiterate definitions more than once. It does hail from the um, the root word, which is 6150, which is Arab, interestingly enough, like an Arab, which means to, be, to become evening, grow dark, to become evening, grow dark, to spend the evening, do at evening. So, and that even has an identical root, uh, which is Arab, which means to pledge, ex exchange, uh, mortgage, you know, so we're swapping day for light or light for day. And so that kind of gets into the twilight period. But Chuck Baldwin, I'm, I'm letting you speak first on just about every one of these. Tell me, my friend, when do you think evening begins and when does it end? Very important question. I believe it, I believe it begins at sunset, the first when the last ray of sun disappears visibly and and it ends, I would say, what you might consider total dark. Okay. Where the last perceptible light is gone. Uh, and and while, I'm, while I'm talking, it seems like I remember one of the definitions of Arab or one of its derivative words has to do with a mixture, referring to the mixture of light and darkness. That's correct. Yeah. So Chuck's definition would, would basically be the same as what NASA would call civil twilight. So 
Uh, and civil twilight is the period between sunset and darkness. And so that's uh, an important term. Matthew, give me your thoughts. I think it's very important that we look at all of the Hebrew words that are related to that 6153 number. And we have to keep in mind that there are a string of words from somewhere around 6148 all the way to like 6159, somewhere right in there. There's a whole string of words that are spelled identically in Mm -hmm. Hebrew minus the vowel pointing, you know, the Masoretic text vowel points. So, and all of these words carry with them the idea of a mixture or to intermix. Um, Strong's actually even defines one of the words as mongrel uh, in his definition. Um, so, I believe the evening begins at sunset when the sun drops below the horizon. Uh, as far as when evening ends, I would probably go along with what Chuck is saying, um, you know, 60 to 90 minutes as we would call it after sundown. Uh, But there again, I think that the word evening, when you look at it in the Hebrew, in all the context that it's used, the word Arab, I think that it doesn't, it's not limited to just meaning dusk or the the gray mixture period where where darkness begins to to mingle with light after the sun drops and it's not really anymore. Uh, I think there's a passage in Job, and I can't remember the exact text. Uh, right off the top of my head, there's a passage in Job where Job talks about how he tosses and turns all night long. And that word night there is the word Arab. And so we, we see in that passage, and there's others, that there is more of a loose meaning, once again, for the Hebrew word than we tend to give it. We tend to want to limit it to one particular meaning. So um, if we're talking about uh, when the daylight period ends, and evening begins, then I would say that that's when the sun stops ruling in the sky. Okay, so uh, would it be like what Chuck says, where the the top of the of the sphere of the sun actually drops below the horizon? Is that correct? That's what I believe. Yes, uh, and that, that's the, its beginning of evening. That is the beginning of evening. Yes, the, the sun the sun rules by day, um, okay. and as long as the sun is ruling. This is how the ancient Hebrews could tell the hours in the day. Now, they didn't look at their clock on their arm or on the wall. They told the hours of the day by the position of the sun. Sure. Well, when the sun is below the horizon, you can't tell hours of the day. You had watches in the night, but not hours of the day. So as long as the sun is above the horizon, traversing across the sky, you can tell the hours of the day. So when, when the top of that orb of the sun drops below the horizon... And darkness begins to mingle in with light. I believe that's when evening uh, begins. Okay. Now, let me give my thoughts on it. And that, before we take a break, uh, and the reason I'm going to take a break here is because I've got to find a passage, and I can't remember where it was also, Matthew. Um, and that that is that I believe when the sun hits high noon, that is evening. Uh, that begins the evening, and the sun begins its setting from high noon, whatever that is. That doesn't necessarily constitute 12 o'clock on our modern-day clocks. It could be, for instance, 1.30 in the in the afternoon. That, that could be when the sun is high noon, if you will, straight up and down in the summertime. And um, so that, that's when I believe evening begins, and I think evening ends just like you guys. I agree that evening does end when light is gone or the, the sky is void of light. That's when I end 
the daylight portion and certainly evening. So we've got a wide discrepancy here, and what we need to do is see what else the Scripture might say concerning this topic of when evening truly is. We'll be right back. Our guest this evening is Matthew Jansen from the congregation in Conyers, Georgia, and Chuck Baldwin from East Ridge, Tennessee. We are discussing the topic of uh, the aspect of the calendar of when the day begins. This is really the beginning topic for any study on the calendar. And I must say, guys, I, I've learned how to study this a lot better than I did when I first started this. I, I can remember having, uh, I believe it was a Pentecost festival at my own home, and uh, Matthew came up, and he and I got into a, a debate on this, and it ended kind of sore. Matthew, to this day, I still feel bad about that. Oh, I don't even remember that, brother. But I, <laughs> That's how but I have a I have a terrible memory, but I but just know that no, I don't have any feelings of animosity towards you. Oh, I know that. you don't, but I I still I, I have um, memories of debates that I've had with people, and I just wish I would have handled them better. I, I've I've learned so Maybe. much though walking Maybe. those roads. Uh, I'm going to go to a passage that kind of proves my point of view. And then if, if you if you two would like to give comments on it and then share a passage that, that kind of points to your point of view, be thinking of that. The, the first one I would like to bring up, I've, I've brought up many times before, Matthew and Chuck both know it well, and that is Jeremiah 6, verse 4, which states, Prepare you for war against her. Arise and let us go up at noon. Woe to us, for the day goeth away. For the shadows of evening, and that is Arab, same word that's used in Genesis 1, are stretched out. So the shadows of evening are stretched out. Now, whether you say this is metaphor, whether it's um, actual, literal thoughts of the person speaking at this particular time, it makes no difference. It, it draws the analogy that this is noontime, and we're beginning to see the shadows grow long, and it is called evening. So uh, that is probably the biggest evidence that I would have concerning evening starting at noon. And Chuck, uh, very quickly, give me your thoughts on that. Well, uh, I don't have the I don't have the scripture references, but there there are, there are uh, several that refer to at evening when the sun went down. And with similar wording like that, uh, and there's uh, there's one if I remember it, Mark is it Mark one thirty two? That's a New Testament reference. Yeah, Mark one thirty two. Now at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and demon possessed. So. So those those verses that seem to parallel evening with the sun sun going down. Now, granted, the, the sun going down starts from noon until it's, until it's actually really on the other side of the earth, which would be noon until midnight from from one perspective. But to narrow the definition of the sun going down. It, it would be to me when it when it disappears over the horizon. Okay. All right. I'm uh, 
Matthew, I typed in there the wrong thing. We, we got to get you hardwired so you, you stop falling off. Are you, are you there now? I'm here. I have. I don't know why I'm having problems here again. I, I thought I fixed this, but yeah. I apologize. All right. Well, we got you now. So let's give me your thoughts real quickly on Jeremiah six verse four. I don't know if you heard me read it, but I know you know what it says. Um, yeah. And then, uh, then if you don't care, give give me a passage that points to why you think evening begins at sunset and not noontime. Matthew? Boy, I was really looking forward to hearing what he had to say on that, and, and we're losing him for some reason. Um, Chuck, what do you think Matthew would have said? You've been in the, the war rooms with him. Oh, well, I don't know what he would have said about Jeremiah 6-4, and I was just looking at it. Uh, it says, Arise, let us go up at noon. Woe to us, for the day goes away. I think that's talking about the beginning of the battle and getting toward the end of the battle. I think it's talking about two different times in those two lines. That, that's the best I can make of it. Because the okay. next one, the next one, the shadows of even are lengthening, and then arise, let us go up by night. That seems to indicate a sequence of things. Right. So so the the going up the going up at noon and the day going away could be two different things, two different All right. times. Alright. Matthew, are you back? Yes, sir. All right. Very quickly before you drop again, give me your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually agree with uh your definition of the word evening being when the sun is directly overhead and begins to go on its downward stroke. Okay. Uh, I, I believe that's one of the ways to understand the word Arab. And I think Jeremiah 6 verse 4 bears that out when it talks about the shadows of the evening lengthen. I think that's specifically referring to towards when the sun goes below the horizon because that's when the sun is lowest in the sky. You can still see it, but it's lowest in the sky. And the shadows stretch out because of the sun's position. So there is something in the Hebrew Bible that talks about between the evenings. And uh, I think I know that Chuck disagrees with me on this. I'm not sure about you, Joey. Mm -hmm. um, but I do believe that when it's talking about between the evenings, um, I think an understanding of that is between the first evening, the one that you just talked about in Jeremiah 6, 4 discusses, and the right. second evening when the sun drops below the horizon. So I've got no problem with, with Jeremiah 6, 4 here, um, according to how you explained it. I, I would be in agreement. All right. Now, before we get into between the evenings, and Chuck, I, do you, did you have a quick comment? Uh, it's it's a, a little more than quick, maybe. Okay, but, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. There, There is a day with two evenings mentioned in the New Testament. In Matthew, it's Matthew 14. <clears throat> it's uh, the account of the feeding of the 5,000. You know the story. They followed Yeshua out to a mountain and... And he was saw the multitude moved with compassion. Verse 15 of Matthew 14 says, "When it was evening, his disciples came to him, and they and they were saying it, it's getting late, and the people are going to be hungry. And the, the key there is that the hour is already late. Okay. So he feeds the five thousand, and then later on, in verse, let me see." 23. Yeah, 23. Mm -hmm. 
And when he had, this is after they finished eating, and after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there. Mm-hmm. So there you have two evenings coming with the 5,000 being fed in between. I thought, right. I thought that was interesting. when I, I, I just stumbled across that one day. Very good. Um, that is very interesting, Chuck. I, that's the first time I've ever heard that. I appreciate too. that. I'll go back and look at that. See, we don't. We really don't pay Chuck enough. We need to renew his contract, but that comes at the end of the year, Chuck. We'll sit down and discuss it then. So don't don't get antsy. We'll we will renegotiate your contract. Okay. All right. Uh, and and Matthew, that seems to point to the fact exactly what you're saying that there is literally three evenings, if you will. The first evening probably being between we'll say noon and three. The second evening, depending on the time of the year, between three and maybe five or six, and the third evening would be between six and what we've all described as as when it gets completely dark. Would you agree with that? Mm, I don't want to agree with something that I haven't researched and studied. I, I follow what you're saying. Um, I think Chuck would see it differently. I think Chuck would say that the first evening here in Mark was sunset, and the second one was at uh, what he called complete darkness. Um, I wouldn't necessarily take that position. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But um, it's just something right here that I'm going to have to go back and research here in uh, Matthew chapter 14. It's, it's very, uh, very uh, interesting. All right. We'll leave it at that and maybe come back to it on our next program. Uh, Matthew, while we've got you... Uh, you know, if you had to pull out of the all of the scripture a text or two that points to evening being at sunset, uh, give it to me. I think that Genesis chapter one teaches us that in verses fourteen through eighteen, it teaches us that the sun rules by day, and the moon and the stars rule by night. Now, it doesn't mention the sun or the moon specifically sure. in Genesis one fourteen through eighteen, but we know that they're implied. Because their sister texts, like in uh, Psalm 136, 7 through 9, and, and Jeremiah 31, verses 35 through 36, where uh, in the Psalms and, and in the prophets, and I believe that the book of Psalms is actually part of the Torah, according to uh, mm-hmm. the words of yeah. Yeshua. Sure. But it talks about the sun to rule by day, the moon and the stars to rule by night. And it goes back to something I said earlier. When the, as long as you can see the sun in the sky, you can count the hours of the day. And that's when the sun is ruling by day. And then when the sun ceases to rule, when it's not ruling anymore, you have the night period. And this is seen most readily because I understand that there's some nights of the month where the moon is not right up at sunset. And there's some nights of the month where you can actually see the moon before sunset ever takes place. Right. But this is seen most readily um, on the in the middle of the month, which is right around the 15th day of the month, or, or the moon, the lunar month, when the sun drops below the the horizon, the sun rises in the in the east, it sets in the west. And when the sun drops below the horizon in the west, the beautiful full moon, in conjunction with the sun setting, rises above the horizon. So we have a period of time where, yes, you can still see. If you walk outside, you can still see. But darkness has begun to mingle in and admixture in with light. The sun is not ruling. You cannot see the sun, but the beautiful full moon now is ruling. And that lets us know that even though it's not complete darkness, what we would define in our English mindset as darkness, according to Yahweh's understanding, the moon is ruling, and the moon only rules during the night. 
And I've observed it for a long time now, and I've heard people say, and I, I have to believe that they say it because they've never observed it for themselves because it's simple to do, but I have stayed outside many times and seen how long it takes for stars to start appearing. And I can usually see one or two stars within the first five to ten minutes after sunset, and by the 15 to 20 minute mark, they start getting innumerable to even count. And, mm-hmm. of course, you can see more as the sky gets darker and darker and darkness becomes to overtake light in the you know the wee hours or the late hours of the night. And, um, and how, so how much... How much more would that be if we didn't have light pollution? I appreciate that point because I I wasn't thinking about bringing that up, but I have made that exact same point. Um, I had property one time. I I, I used to own 21 acres um, on top of a 7,000-foot elevation mountain in Montana. And let me tell you something. You can definitely see the the heavens better out there. Yeah. where there's no artificial light. I mean, the sun drops below the horizon, and immediately you see a change in the way that the sky looks. Um, and, you know, I don't know if we, if this is the time to bring this up or not, um, but I think that there's something significant about this in the 13th chapter of the book of Nehemiah that a lot of people don't understand, but maybe we can... That's right, let, stop talking about the Sabbath. Let's go there, if you don't care, Matthew. Sure, 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 sure. Let me... Uh, let me grab my good old King Jimmy here. I, I think that's the one you and Chuck use most. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, guys, we've got a lot of people listening. I'm getting comments left and right uh, on the message boards. So this is uh, definitely hitting home with some people who are interested in this topic. Uh, okay, but, Nehemiah. I'm sorry, Joey. Go ahead, brother. Well, I, I was going to lay the, the setting for this, but go ahead, Matthew. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 13, um, and I won't begin reading, but if most Bible students will know that the context is where Nehemiah is rebuking the Judahites uh, because there's been a recent coming out of captivity, fairly recent coming out of Babylonian captivity for the house of Judah, and they have not got everything ironed out yet according to the Torah. So here, Nehemiah has to rebuke them because they're bringing in all these wares and dixtrules and and, uh, making donkeys work and bringing in uh, uh, harvests on the Sabbath day. And um, he gets gets so upset with them and tells them, listen, don't be doing this anymore. Uh, This is evil. And in verse 19, there's an interesting verse. And it says, "As, as it came, or excuse me, and it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be open till after the Sabbath. And you can read in your own Bible study time for those that are listening, you know, the whole context of the passage. Um, First off, I I believe that this verse points us in the direction of the Sabbath beginning at sundown or at evening and not morning. To me, it makes, or I should say it like this, to me it doesn't make as much sense for uh, the gates of Jerusalem to be closed at this period of time, if there is a uh, you know eight to twelve hour uh, span before the Sabbath begins in the morning, and that will be the first point I'd bring up on this text. But something else I'd like to bring up is that the King James Version does not translate this passage accurately. Uh, it should say, and I want you to notice as we read it again slowly, and it came to pass that when the gate of Jerusalem 
Okay, so the first thing we need to recognize is that the passage is specifically talking about not the day, not the color of the sky, but it's talking about something to do with the gates of Jerusalem. And it says that these gates of Jerusalem began to be dark. Dark is not the correct word right there. The Hebrew word there is salal, uh, transliterated into English as T-S-A-L-A-L. And it's used here in one other place in Ezekiel. And it refers to a shadow, a shadow that is cast on, on an object by the sun when the sun is still in the sky able to cast shadows. And the New English translation, um, a lot of your commentaries, John Gill, Adam Clark, Albert Barnes, they all catch this, this Hebrew word salal. And what it, I think the New International Version, which most of the time I do not care for, but it gets this one right, what it's saying is, is that before sunset, as the sun began to lower itself in the sky, it began to cast shadows on the gates of Jerusalem. And that was a key sign that when those shadows were cast, the sun was low enough in the sky that the Sabbath would soon be beginning. And so Nehemiah 13, 19 is not talking about a time period after sunset. It's actually talking about a time period prior to sunset when the sun is at a low position in the sky and it casts those long shadows that you brought up in Jeremiah 6, verse 4. And I would, I would use this as, as one of my key texts to show uh, that the Sabbath day is to begin um, in the evening, which I believe to be sunset. Okay, Chuck, what, what's your thoughts on that? I, I just noticed an interesting difference between the, the King James and the New King James. Mm -hmm, me too. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the King James says, it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, and the New King James says, so it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began as it began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut. So basically, he, Nehemiah was standing there at the gates and noticed that it that it was starting to get dark. Just the the, the sky, the what whatever in general, the the environment was starting to get dark. All right. Now that's that's an interesting point, and I was going to make that exact point. But um, I also want to read, to be fair, I want to read the Hebrew Interlinear. This is from Scripture for All. You can pull up on online. I think it's based off of Young's. It says, and he is becoming much the same language that is used in, in Genesis um, 1 verse 5. And he is becoming as which they shadowed gates of Jerusalem that face the, to the faces of the Sabbath. So, and I know that sounds, it falls strangely on our ears as a Western culture, but that's really the way the Hebrew reads, and it it kind of does point to what Matthew is saying, that the gates themselves began to make a shadow. Am I correct there? Did I say that correct, Matthew, with your I, understanding? Yeah, I, I do. I think that what's going on in the New King James Version is a lack of understanding on the translator's part, and it's a translational gloss, because... Most of the time we don't think gates becoming dark, but the problem is we have to understand the word dark there is not the traditional word that is used hundreds of times in the Old Testament for the word dark. This yeah. is the Hebrew word salal. With this particular vowel pointing, it's only used here in Nehemiah 13, 19, and again in Ezekiel 
chapter 31, verse 3. And I'd like to just read this. In the King James Version, it says, Behold, the Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadowing, Salal, shroud. Ezekiel 31.3 is talking about the shadow that a shroud or a bush or a, a bushy tree makes. And I'm out working often during the work days, and I've noticed more and more since I've come into the, what I believe to be the proper understanding of this text, I've noticed so much how that in those areas where the trees will shadow the ground, that area is darker than the areas that are not shadowed. And, and, and this is the two times that this word Salal is used, and this is 6751 in Strong's. Mm -hmm. But we should also look at 6749 and 6754. And both of these words that are related, same consonants in Hebrew, the only difference is the vowel markings, both of these words have to do with a shade or some kind of shadow or something to that effect. And you can... You can one, study these, these words out. One is to sink or submerge, much like the sun is setting. Um, the other one that he's speaking of, well, I, it won't show me on my computer, um, but it, it, the idea of hovering over like, a, like he's talking about, branches hovering over. So what we have here is right at sunset, really, is the way I'm reading this. Uh, maybe even a little after sunset to where those those long shadows just kind of disappear, if you will. Would you agree, Matthew? I, I think that it was, I don't know for sure because the text doesn't tell us. I tend to believe that it was um, uh, probably what we would call 30 minutes or so before the Sabbath okay. began. Okay. And I, I think what was happening is that he was going ahead and getting things ready um, for for the Sabbath uh, to to not profane it like yeah. uh, the Judahites had been doing and yeah. and I and, and once again my, going back to my first point and then we can move on I do not want to camp out too much and I feel like I'm talking too much but my first point was to me this this is a strong to me this is a strong evidence from the Tanakh that the Sabbath was going to begin at sundown and not you know several hours later in the morning. Okay. Now, and, and I, well, I can't say I agree. I started to say I agree with that. But uh, think about this. Let's just use some common sense. Let's say that the gates remained open past sunset, okay? Are we thinking that, you know, through the 9 o'clock hour, the 10 o'clock hour, as it got dark and all through the night that people would come and go through Jerusalem or... Would it not make more sense that Nehemiah was shutting the gates for the purpose of keeping people out as dawn began to break and people were getting in before, you know, someone could get up and get the gates shut for uh, the beginning of the Sabbath in the morning? Which one makes more sense? Chuck, what's your thoughts on that? Well, they, they both make sense, and I, I understand that uh, they it would be likely that he'd want to get go ahead and shut the gates at night so that they'd be shut in the morning. Right. Uh, I noticed another thing about it beginning beginning to be dark. That could lend a little bit of credibility to the theory that the that the day starts at at, at dark rather than sunset, but I just thought I'd throw that in because I think Arnold believes it that way. Yeah, well, that is absolutely correct. We've talked about that many a times. Uh, Matthew, 
you know, do, do you think that it's uh, an issue of people trafficking through that gate at night past, certainly sunset and past twilight? Yes, I do. I do okay. believe that, yeah. And I, I mean, I understand we have disagreement there, but I, I would just go back to, to what the verse actually says. Um, the verse uh, is not talking about the day being shadowed. We, we keep using the word dark, <laughs> but yeah. the Hebrew is not dark. So it, it's shadowed. And it's not the day that's becoming shadowed. It's, yeah. the, it's the something to do with the gates. Uh, this is the same word for gates where you write the, the Shema on your on your gates, your doorpost and your gates. So it's, yeah. it's something to do specifically with at the gates. So to me, Brother Joey, it makes more sense that the sun is still up, the Sabbath has not begun, Nehemiah is guarding the corners or the borders of the Shabbat, mm-hmm. um, and I believe... And I don't have my notes in front of me, and it's probably my fault, but there is many passages that talks about in both the Tanakh and the New Testament how that uh you know during the work days everything just didn't just shut down um in uh Jerusalem uh after sunset. I mean people still bought and sold and and conversed and uh um, I mean you know, we, we, we think that, well, everybody, everything just absolutely shut down and everybody just went to bed. Um, and that's, that's just not the, that's not the case. There's many scriptures where people would, uh, do things of, uh, buying and selling nature even during the, uh, beginning hours of the night. So I think that this passage, um, does lend credence to the Sabbath beginning, uh, in the evening. It doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Um, to wait. For the Sabbath to wait until until the morning time, I think he could have let it let it go on for another hour, another two, another three, um, and then said, "Okay, you know, we're going to get ready for the Sabbath. We've got seven more hours or six more hours, and everybody's uh, pretty much went home and went to bed, and we're going to close the gates. And we're not going to allow any of this stuff to happen on the Sabbath." So. All right, I, I really wanted to get into uh, Ben Aaron Beam, which is. Uh, between the two evenings or in the midst of the evening, as I think it should be translated, and maybe we will get to that. But I definitely want to address, since we're talking about evening, since we're talking about the end of the day in some form or fashion, I want to go to Matthew 28. And I know Matthew's um, Matthew Jansen's thoughts on this. I, I want to hear him again. The first time I heard this, I said, you know something? He had to go to a lot of thought to come up with that. <laughs> Matthew 28 uh, says now in the end of the Sabbath, and I'm I'm using the New American Standard rendering. The King James says now after the Sabbath, and I think that's a poor translation. Uh, it's it's now in the end of the Sabbath. The word is apostase in the in the Greek, and it it means at the end of a thing, not after a thing. It says now in the end of the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene. And the other Mary came uh, to see the tomb. Now, if you, if you take a look at this on the surface, it's really, really difficult to think anything other than the fact that in the wee hours of the morning at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning as it begins to dawn, this, is, this text is calling uh, that, that period of time in the end of the Sabbath. So that's well after sunset, well after it's become dark, and it's before dawn. 
which kind of, in my opinion, ties directly into the way the Hebrew should read or does read and the King James should translate it back in Genesis 1-5. Uh, then it became evening, then it became morning, and you know that's still day one right before morning breaks. Uh, I'll Chuck, I'll, I won't break pattern. I'll get your thoughts first and before we come to Matthew. Okay, well, on um, this particular verse, uh, I've, I've, the, the New King James has it different from the Old King James and that's what you were just talking about. And uh, in the end of the Sabbath, you would you would generally think of as as being the last part of the Sabbath day. Uh, as far as the word began to dawn, that that word is used elsewhere, meaning to in general to draw on. And just like uh, like you're trying to figure out something and suddenly it dawns on you, it. It's it's related it's related to the meaning of dawning of the morning, but it, it's it's extended to other usages to to appear, in other words, to, or to draw on. Uh, I've heard one I've heard one translation, not a translation, but an opinion, I guess, that puts verse sixty six of the previous chapter together. Oh no! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You can't steal Matthew's oh, thunder. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay, he can he can have it, but. Uh, um, you, you were about to give his opinion. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then there, there are some, well, since we're just looking at this particular verse, that's, uh, I'll, I'll give the Church of God Seventh-day opinion. They they believe that there were several visits to the tomb, and this particular one happened basically Saturday, Saturday evening as it, as it approached sunset. Uh there's there's some holes in that that theory, because that means that these women went to the tomb the previous night, and all this stuff here in Matthew happened, and then in Mark and Luke they went again the next morning and and had no memory of it. So that that that's kind of hard to swallow. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, Matthew, shoot. Okay, I didn't mind that Chuck <laughs> stole my thunder. Um, <laughs> it's no big deal to me, but. I do believe that we have a translational issue here. Um, it's not that the translators did anything, you know, devilish or demonic or anything, but I think that they could have uh, divided the chapter better because we have to remember two things. Number one, when I study the New Testament, um, and I do believe that much of the New Testament is inspired scripture, however, I study it with my Tanakh glasses on. I read the New Testament in light of the Old. And I think that's the Berean approach of Acts 17, 10 through 11. Uh, when Paul would preach, they would examine the scriptures, which the only scriptures they had were the Tanakh, to make sure that he was accurate. So because of my understanding of celebrating days like Nehemiah 13, 19, um, and also uh, don't want to bring all this up at one time, but I've, I've got to, to to go into my point. Uh, the days of unleavened bread in Exodus 12, 17 through 18, I believe all those are from evening to evening. Um, Yom Kippur in Leviticus 23:32. I believe that's from evening to evening, and I and I translate uh, the end of, of Leviticus 23:32 as Sabbaths plural and not not Sabbath singular. But because of my understanding of the of the commanded passages in the Tanakh, where Yahweh is commanding us to celebrate certain days, I have to readjust my understanding 
of Matthew 28 and 1. I have no problem with, in the end of the Sabbath, I have no problem with the translation after the Sabbath. Um, I think it could go either way. Let's uh, use the KJV, in the end of the Sabbath. What we need to remember is, when we read the New Testament, the earliest manuscripts of the Greek New Testament uh, were written uh, in all capital letters in the Greek with no pronunciation, punctuation, uh, commas, dots, dashes, anything like that. They're called unsealed texts of the New Testament. Unsealed refers to the capitalization of the letters. There's not even spaces in between the letters. And so what the translators do of our English Bibles is they do the best that they know how. They try their very best, I think most of the time they're accurate, to subdivide the chapters and the verses. But we have to remember that up until about the 15th, the 16th centuries A.D., with a man named Robert Estian, nicknamed Stephanus, there did not exist chapter and verse subdivisions for the most part in our Bible. So I believe that the first part of 28.1, in the end of the Sabbath, is best to be tacked on to verse 66, and it would read, So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch in the end of the Sabbath, period. Then, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, and I understand that, I, I agree with what Chuck said about the word dawn. I think it can refer to uh, the morning time, the, the period that the 12-hour day begins, but I think that it can also be like something dawned on me or dawned on my mind. Uh, Luke 23, 54 uses the word in that way, a metaphorical uh, usage. So um, I would understand that as it began to dawn toward the first of the week, I think that that's referring to the daylight portion um, uh, rather than the 24-hour day is how I would understand that. And, and I just I find that explanation absolutely fascinating. I'm not saying I agree with it. I, I, I do. You'll come I, around, brother. You'll come I, around. I know if I keep looking at it, I'll, I'll eventually see it. But uh, I, I, we don't have the time to go into an argument against it. But let me just ask you this, Matthew. Okay. Uh, so it'll help me understand what you believe. Do you believe that Messiah was in the tomb for 72 hours, or are you of the belief that he was in the tomb uh, three parts of days, which would be the 14th, 15th, and 16th? Yeah, three parts of days, around 30 hours. I definitely do not believe he was in the tomb for 72 hours, and uh, I know Brother Chuck disagrees with that. And I've almost persuaded him on that, and I and I think that he'll eventually see the light, Brother and I'm being facetious when I say this, but <laughs> but uh, no, I believe the Messiah was in the tomb for about 30 hours, part of the 14th, the entire 15th, and just a short part of the 16th. Yeah, and I happen to agree with you, but the listening audience has got to understand we have really kicked this this can down the road. And um, <laughs> I tell you, I used to be a staunch three-day and three-night believer, so much so that one year I made up a chart, a graph, that showed the various days that Messiah was in the tomb. And I went to my previous wife's organization, which was the Methodist Church, on Easter morning and put that flyer on every car that was in the parking lot. Of wow. Her church. <laughs> wow. And now, you know, I, I'm thinking, boy, what an idiot. <laughs> I, I just sowed, <laughs> you know, seeds of error, in my opinion. But Chuck does. Chuck, if you want to give your thoughts on why this could not be the case, with your understanding of the three days and three nights, because uh, they would have made set this watch much earlier in that period. Is it correct? Uh, yes. Uh, 
I, I think uh, it, it goes back to a key text, and unfortunately, there's not an uh, there's not an another another text to to help it out, other than the, some some of the story flow that that you kind of have to go between the different accounts, but. Matthew forty, uh, Matthew twelve verse forty. Of course, you know is is uh, sure. It's the main verse. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, now you've got you've got six time periods, and the only ones that can be cut short is the, is the ones on the end. So you've got at least two full days and two full nights in the middle. So you've either got a full 72 hours, which is would go from Wednesday night to Saturday night, or if you trim the ones on the end, you can you can kind of account for a Thursday crucifixion, as some believe. Right. Uh, and yeah. and and then uh, the the Sabbath that it mentions in in the various accounts, it turns out. To be according to as, as I believe that, that there was two separate Sabbaths, because one account says says that the the, the women bought, bought spices after the Sabbath, and another account says they prepared spices and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And so you've got you've got two different Sabbaths with all this. Spice activity going on in between. That, that's another another part of this uh, argument. Um, yeah, and we wow. we are going to do a program on this after the Feast of Tabernacles because wow. I, yeah, I have big subject. It is. I, I have um, at least three people across the country that are emailing me wanting me to do a program or or Linda writing is the way they would put it on my belief, which is the fact that I believe that Yeshua was not, that first of all, that this passage that Chuck quoted was not the tomb. That's you know, the heart of the earth is not the tomb. Uh, specifically, it's pointing to Jerusalem and, and even more specifically, the dungeons of Jerusalem. And it's the time period that Messiah was being tried and tested, meaning that he was not taken on the, fourth, uh, the 13th or what we would call leading into the 14th. He was uh, taken on the 10th. But then we want to uh, give the other side of that argument, too, which is, I think, what Matthew and Chuck believe concerning him being taken that evening as, it, as he was betrayed. Most people think the 13th leading into the 14th and give both sides of that argument, much like we're doing here. And we will do that uh, probably in November after the feast. So keep that in mind. Guys, we've got about uh, 16 minutes, and what I want to do in that period of time is introduce the next program by leading into between the evenings. And uh, Matthew has already mentioned this, and, and I, I, I want to bring up the four times in Torah that this phrase, Ben Arabim, is used in the Hebrew. And uh, I, I think it's better translated uh, in the midst of the evening, but it does have the I M, the uh, uh-huh. the Yod and the the Mem, at the uh-huh. end, and which which definitely signifies a plurality to it, which you know in the midst of the evenings is still a good translation. But as a whole, you know, I believe that 
period of evenings is evening in in its entire body. So um, those four times, and I'm not going to turn to them, but uh, we will turn to them next time we have this program, uh-huh. is they are the uh, the lighting of the lamps between the evenings, the lighting of the lamps of the temple. They are the event when the quail was sent. The quail was given between the evenings in Exodus 16. Uh, the other is the... Uh, Matthew, help me out before I get to the lamb being slaughtered. What's the, th- the third one? Mm, the, uh, there's one in Numbers 28 where it talks about the morning and the evening sacrifice. Okay, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then finally, the, uh, the the last one, which I think is the most pertinent, is the killing of the lamb in past, uh, Passover 12, in Exodus 12 concerning mm-hmm. the Passover lamb. Now, if we take these four events, concerning the usage of Ben Arabim between the evenings, and we say, which one of those four is the easiest to understand? Well, I I take a lot of stock in Exodus 16. That, that's, where I, that's where I get uh, uh, several explanations of, of how it shows that the day, the day begins that evening, and also that that between the evenings would have to mean between sunset and dark. Now, it, it might take more time than we have to, right now to go through that chapter, but uh, you might want to yeah. do that on a later program. Yeah, and that, that's what we're doing. We want to set the stage for that for the listeners because um, our views are different in how we see, I guess, the the definition of easiest to understand. Matthew, what's your view? Of those four, which one, if you were trying to prove when this period between the evenings is, which one would you take? As the example, hmm, man, I would take two of them, brother. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, my, my first one, my first one would be Numbers twenty-eight with the morning and evening sacrifice. Yeah, and and the reason I would take that is because the the morning sacrifice is is referred to as the echad sacrifice. First, uh, in other words, the one lamb, the first, uh, and then the evening sacrifice is referred to as the shani, and the shani is, is the second one, and I think they have to take place in that order both in the same day. However, I mean, coming in at a close second place in, in, <laughs> to that is the timing of the Passover because um, I have kept Passover now for 15 years and I know um, how long it takes to uh, keep Passover um, and it correlates very closely to what took place uh with the contest between um, Eliyahu, Elijah, and the prophets of uh, uh, Baal and the prophets of Asherah on Mount Carmel. Um, and there were several things that Eliyahu did at the time of the evening sacrifice, uh, which we just talked about, Numbers 28, that I don't think he could have completed um, if we take the other uh, understanding for between the evenings. Now, that being said, I want to be fair. That being said, I understand Brother Chuck's position based on Exodus 16, and I will admit that it's a difficult passage for my position to deal with. Um, you know, I'm not too uh, prideful to say that. Um, I have my understanding of it, but I think that uh, Brother Chuck's explanation is a lot easier to understand when you take Exodus, the 16th chapter. So just trying to keep it real. 
Yeah. And now this is you boy, this I wish we had another hour to discuss this and we will get into it on the next program. But let me explain the quandary that we have here. Chuck is stating that between the evenings is the period that is the same period as evening by his definition. That's the, the twilight period after sunset but before darkness. Now, what Matthew brought up just a minute ago about the evening sacrifice, which I think is correctly labeled as evening, but it, he's correct when he says the word is not evening there. It is second. It is the second sacrifice. And if that occurred in the the period that Chuck states, and I'm not putting you on the spot, Chuck, because I used to see it the same way, that would be, and, and the day begins at sunset, then that would be the first sacrifice of the new day. The evening sacrifice would be the very beginning of the day, and that would be the first sacrifice of that period. And the morning sacrifice, which is the first one, would be the second. I know that sounds confusing, but when you study it out, you'll see what I'm, the quandary I'm talking about. And Chuck, I'll give you a, a, an opportunity to kind of set that straight. Uh, thank you, Joey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've heard that argument, and, and I've also heard an explanation, so I didn't originate this. And that's that most of your holy day events and, and commands are are related to specific dates. This is something that happens every day. And in reference, in this particular reference, the the person that told me this says that he believes, and, and it makes a little sense, that it's talking simply about what he called the natural day, basically from sunrise to sunset, or, or, or more, more, Correctly, from the time you get up till the time you go to bed, between those two times, you've got a first sacrifice and a second sacrifice. So you don't you don't go to bed right at sunset. You you do your second sacrifice and then you go to bed. Mm. It's, uh, In other words, that's a difficult verse for Chuck's position. <laughs> just just like Exodus 16 would be a difficult passage for my position. Um, you know, it, it, I'm sorry, Chuck. I was just making a funny there, brother. No, no problem. <laughs> Are you still there, Joey? I, I was muted. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, you're exactly. My point. Right. My my point. My point was, is that in Numbers 28, you know, you, you have the list of the offerings in Numbers 28 and 29, all the holy sacrifices that the Israelites offered to Yahweh. And the the first one is um, the daily sacrifice, day by day. You know, we're talking about the six work days. And, you know, the Echad lamb in the morning, the Shani lamb in the evening. And I, and I think that the easiest way to understand that is they're both done on the same day, uh, which is, you know, one of the six work days. Um, and it's not talking about any other kind of, you know, natural day or human day floating around, but but the contextual day. Yeah, and uh, if I, I would agree with with, uh, with Joey, I'm not trying to to, to blast blast uh, Brother Chuck here um, with with by saying this because I, I admit that if if you ask me to to <laughs> explain Exodus 16, yeah. it will be diff- it will be difficult for me to do it. Well, you, you know better get your horses ready because that's what's <laughs> going to happen. <next> time. <laughs> And and 
I agree with you. Exodus 16 is a quandary for me as well, uh, with the understanding of when between the evening truly is. Now, let me say this, in case listeners are not understanding where we're going, we're leading up to the days of unleavened bread. And at the end of the day, that's going to answer the question of when the day begins. I mean, we've, we've avoided it because all three of us know that once we open that can of worms, it's going to be uh, Katie bar the door because we just see it differently. And we've laid the foundation for, I think, all of our arguments. And uh, I don't want to get into that on this program, but uh, we we will get into it next time. Before we close, though, I I definitely want to lend my understanding of, of which one of those four examples is the easiest to apply, and, and I, I think it's exactly opposite of what Matthew said. Uh, I, I see numbers, the account in numbers with the daily sacrifice, a very close second. But I think the head, hands down winner has to be the uh, the slaying of the Passover lamb because we have a time setting that it is applied to in the typological anti-type setting, you know, the, the lamb is a type mm. of Yeshua Messiah, and, and we could, you know, you might bring someone on this program that would argue that point, but I'm not a believer of that. I believe that that the two are hand in glove. Uh, the, yeah. the lamb of Exodus 12 definitely points to the death of Messiah, and we know, we know unequivocally that Messiah was, uh, well, I mean, he was, he gave up the ghost. His spirit left him, if you will. The breath of life left him at the 3 o'clock hour, which would have been the ninth hour. And he was pierced uh, by the sword in the 11th hour, which would have been around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So to me, that is the the nail in the coffin for when between the evenings truly is. And, um, you know, that's where I would start the argument. And, and Chuck, I, I know you... Well, I don't know if you disagree with that or not, but uh, I'll give you your the the last word there on that particular statement. Well, uh, for me, it either means he was either crucified on the wrong date or he took the Passover on the wrong date. Uh-huh. That's but, <laughs> well, and, and guys, that gets back to the, and, uh, the topic that we're going to discuss after the feast is the, the events of the crucifixion week, if you will. But specifically that that period on the fourteenth. Go ahead, child. And and uh, don't forget my my theory on the change of the calendar. Okay, uh, mm. you you've got about two minutes. You want to go into that real quick? Okay, real real briefly. Look at look at Daniel two twenty one. Okay. This this just sets shows us that uh, Yahweh has control over his creation, and that includes time, which says that he can do this if he wants to. Daniel 2.21, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings and so forth. But changing of times and seasons is one of Yahweh's prerogatives. Okay, fair enough. And in Exodus 12, verse 2, the the tone of it, the way it reads, is he's establishing something new, something different. He says, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. He's giving the Israelites something special. And I contend that the 
not only was the year, the beginning of the year, backed up six months to show and provide for the plan of salvation, the beginning of the day was also backed up 12 hours to show that while man was created in light, he fell and now he has to, he's in darkness and has to come back to the light. So out of darkness into light. That kind of sums it up. Very good. Very good. Well said, Chuck. Uh, Matthew, you got any thoughts on that before we close? No thoughts. Um, I, I appreciate Chuck sharing that. I, I would just say that, man, we we have really covered a lot in 80 minutes, and it, just, <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me how big that this subject is. Uh, man, there's so much. I mean, we could literally spend a year talking about this. It's and and we have in the past. Yeah. <laughs> Five years, like. <laughs> yeah. Every day, yeah. Well, guys, I've really enjoyed it, and, and you're right. We've, we've really only... Uh, scratch the surface and we're going to get into the rest of this topic in the next few programs that we do in this series and, and we've still got to go when the month begins and when the year begins and then we're going to talk about a very controversial subject and that is when the Sabbath day truly is so uh, I, you know I, I see this series going on well into 2014 and probably into 15 so you guys don't go anywhere